1: please welcome the host of NSA's Speakernomics podcast, Tom Singer.
2: Live from the Gaylord Opry Hotel, this is Speakernomics. We are recording this live at Influence 2022, and today's topic for all the speakers who are live in the ballroom, and for those of you who are listening to this on the podcast, today we're gonna talk about how to work with speakers bureaus. (laughs) Ooh, (laughs) (laughs) Silas. And we are joined by Gail Davis. She is the founder and president of GDA Speakers. We have Sean Hanks, he is the CEO of Premier Speakers Bureau. And Tim Mathie, senior partner at Speak, Inc. All right everybody, let's get started. What are the three tips for speakers on how to work with speakers
1: bureaus?
0: Don't call us, we'll call you.
1: Next tip, we, contrary to popular opinion, we don't sell speakers, we sell expertise. Play the long game.
2: All right, we're gonna have some fun unpacking these tips. Gail, let's start with you. You said, don't call us, we'll call you. What what do you mean by that?
0: There are a lot of speakers and um, we are very busy trying to define what the client is looking for If we have your information, then you're going to rise to the top if you do good work. And all the time that we're on the phone speaking with speakers is time that we're not on the phone speaking with clients, booking speakers. And your good work will speak for itself. Nice. Well said. Would you guys like to add to
1: that? You know, if it makes you feel better, Gail won't let me call her either, so it's kind of just a common, a common thing there. So. Gail is very nice and kind, and she was uncomfortable with that line, mm-hmm. but it's true, so thank you for taking one for the team. Yeah. So,
2: in my career, when I was first starting out, you hear about speakers bureaus, and I was like, oh my gosh, speakers bureaus, this would be so exciting, they'll discover me. So I started calling and sending one sheets and doing all this stuff, and some of them I had conversations with, some it was silent, but I didn't really realize that as a brand new speaker. The Speakers Bureau wasn't my conduit to fame. So let's talk about when is the right time then to connect with the Speakers Bureau.
0: My favorite is when one of your colleagues or a client tell me about you. So, you know, if, if I work with a speaker on a regular basis and they're like, hey, have you heard of so-and-so? That is really important. Or we are so collegial with each other and it's very common for me to pick up the phone and talk to Sean or talk to Tim and say I'm struggling finding someone for this spot just backstage Tim told me someone that I need to be working with so we're going to hear about the people that have quality work sure Tim
3: it's a weird spot because I think you know when When you don't need us is when we want you, you know, and and that's a weird thing, but but it's very true, and you know, the best way, honestly, for me to get in contact with you is beat me. I feel very confident in the ideas I send out, the speakers, and if I send four people and they book you, I'm going to be calling you right away because I, I want to find your information, and then I think that tidal wave just kind of goes from there.
1: Yeah. We're, all, we're constantly on the search for great speakers, but you look around this room, there are a lot of speakers out there. We can't be experts on every speaker in the speaking galaxy. So we, we do have to narrow our search and say, okay, these are the speakers we are going to be experts on. And that's what our clients are buying from us, it isn't just the next speaker. It's We need to fill a hole in our, in our session, or whatever it might be, with expertise.
0: There is one exception. I love it when someone lets me know that they're speaking in Dallas. And if possible, if I can attend, or if I can send someone from my team, or if you're in the neighborhood, if you stop by and we get to meet you face to face. I do really appreciate that opportunity. Nice. So early on when I was starting, and I would reach out to bureaus and things like that,
2: I I don't think I ever got obnoxious. But are there any stories of where, like, a speaker has burned a bridge because they've come to you too early? Don't name them by name. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Tim,
1: name names. Names, well, let's start with.
3: No, I mean, I mean there's tons. I, I, I think this was probably 15 years ago, I think. I was doing an NSA and it was almost like a speed dating thing and there was like seven people at the table and I was just kind of talking about what we were doing and I said, look, don't give me your materials. I'll give you my card, just remind me we met here and then, you know, we can talk from there. And this one person just kept persisting and persisting, persisting, because I didn't want to bring a stack of papers back with me. And they gave me their materials and I remember like, I left at the table and I felt rude, but at the same time the other people at the table were kind of with me because it was like, I'm not trying to be rude here, I'm just trying to be fair to everybody. And that was kind of, and plus some people just give you, I mean, I books and they call you daily, it's, it's an interesting. Think about it as dating, right? Like, you gotta kinda find that fine tune as far as (laughs) the back and forth there.
1: And I think it's important to always know that you never have a relationship with a bureau. You you have a relationship with an individual, right? So Tim's got a bunch of great colleagues at Speak Inc. If you know Tim, that's great. And when you deliver for Tim in their next sales meeting or leadership meeting, he's going to say, "Man, Speaker X crushed it for me, and I've gotten too spin off." That's the best sales pitch you can have inside of a sales room. But trying to get in get in with a bureau is ultimately, I mean, it's, it's a there's a lot of people in that mix, right? You need to get in with an individual, build a relationship, and as Tim said, it's it's dating at that point. That's a bad example, probably, but that's what it is. You don't. You don't want uh, to go knock on the person's door and say, I'd like to date you, because that would be really awkward. You, you do it slowly. <laughs> and potentially uh, illegal at this point, so, yeah, yeah. Sure.
2: So if a speaker crosses the line somehow and burns a bridge with a bureau, is there any way to recover from that?
3: It, wow, silence. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, you know, honestly, it, it, it's difficult. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just being honest here. It's difficult because you're, like you say, when the positive stuff happens, think about, you know, you go to a restaurant, you have good food, you may or may tweet about it, may or may not tweet about it. But if you get bad food, you tweet about that more and more. I think that happens in this business as well. You burn a bridge, I'm gonna tell my colleagues at Speak, Inc., and I'm gonna tell, you know, I know there's different chat. there's an IASB, the International Association of Speaker Bureau, You know, chat room, and we talk about different speakers and issues and positive and negative, but you know, that negative unfortunately travels faster.
2: (laughs) All right, so Sean, your tip was we don't sell speakers. We sell experts. Expertise. Expertise. Could you go deeper on that? That's, that's pretty fine. deep for you, Sean.
1: That was very neat. I read that on the back of a cookie box. Um, yeah, if, you, if you're if you a client X um, and you want to book a $10,000 customer service speaker, you can Google and find a $10,000 customer service speaker, right? Um, that's not a hard thing to do, um, but going to a bureau, our role in that mix is risk mitigation. They come to us because they know we represent great speakers, thus us being hesitant to just add. a a whole slew of speakers we're very try to be very efficient and clean and adding great speakers Um, so when they come to us and say I need a $10,000 customer service speaker here are three suggestions they know all three of those are going to be rock stars so at that point they don't have their choice is a choice of uh, based on some other criteria but it's not is this person good or bad all three of these are going to be amazing so we sell expertise ultimately the speaker is the end product that sounds bad to say a person is a product (laughs) but the expertise is what they're coming to the bureau for. Gail?
0: Well, I know I have one client who, uh, when I put a proposal together for them, they want to know have I been in the audience, how many times has GDA speakers booked them, and what kind of client feedback do we have. So that's another reason that you try to keep the, the number of speakers you're working with <laughs> reasonable so sometimes the client will be interested in someone and I can't answer any of those questions yes and that's when I'll pick up the phone and call Sean or I'll call Tim and and then I'll speak I'll offer their expertise to my client. Tim?
3: Yeah, no I think so Tim mean, think about the mini professional right I mean that they have so much on their plate not just booking speakers food and beverage you know pl- you know, impressing the uh, CEO, whatever it might be, there's a lot on their plate. The AV, there's a ton going on. So when they're looking for a speaker, I think Sean says it right, you can go on a website and find a $10,000 customer service speaker. Our job is to make it quick, efficient, and make them look like a hero. And I think the expertise is there as far as how we go about them.
2: So what are some ways you identify, besides seeing them speak, What are some ways you identify expertise? So is it uh, having an advanced degree? Does the CSP come into play? If they're a member of the Speaker Hall of Fame, does that come into play?
0: I was at the CSP breakfast yesterday, and uh, it will come into play for me now because I understand it better, and I understand the process that you go through. I know when I started my bureau, I played heavily on being a member of IASB. And I would explain it that it is our industry um, association, and if you didn't work with me, just be sure you worked with someone that was a member of ISB because of the requirements to become a member. And I think maybe there could be a better job of explaining exactly the CSP and how you qualify for it, and the limited number of people who have it. So it will make a difference to me now. Good. Well, I have
2: the CSP. So thank, <laughs> thank you. you. Oh, so good. To know. <laughs> Anybody else on on credentialing or maybe about writing a book?
1: What what, what adds to expertise? Yeah, I I always say a book is, and this sounds a bit snarky, a book is by far the best calling card or business card you're ever going to have, right? The reality is if you hand out 20 books, 19 people may not read that book. But they have a book laying on their desk, because books are hard to throw away, right? Has your face on it, and it literally says, I'm an expert on this thing. So a book is a great entry point as you ascend the speaker ladder. It's definitely one of those rungs that you, you have to climb. I'm gonna
3: disagree with Sean. For, for me, I, I don't care if you have a book or not. Um, it doesn't mean you could speak. It means you could be a good writer, but necessarily doesn't really mean you're a great speaker. I mean, at the end of the day, you have that it factor. That to me is, I don't care what your degrees are, to me is if you're on stage and you're able to deliver, and you have that factor, I can't define it. I've been asked a million times, I don't know what it is, but when you see it, you know, you know what it is. So to me, a book helps with the credentials, but to me, it doesn't mean you're gonna be a great speaker. So
2: what can speakers do to not necessarily prove, but show they have expertise to catch your eye? Because lots of speakers cross your paths. Is there anything we can do to stand out?
1: Well, I'll harken back to something Gail mentioned earlier. We add speakers in two ways. We either, a a trusted speaker, someone we represent, says, you have to check this person out. Probably once a month, we'll get, our most booked speaker in the last 12 months was the product of a text a year and a half ago from another speaker, a guy named John, texted me and said, this guy's amazing. And John's a very confident guy. And he said, this dude's better than me, which for me meant, wow, okay, (laughs) because speakers don't say that very often, right? (laughs) So I, I reached out to him and that became a great relationship. Our client base really aligned well with what he wanted to do. So there's still some work to be done there. Or as Tim said earlier, if we lose business to you several times, that's the market qualifying you as a great speaker. And honestly, we don't have to do as much work at that point. We know that you're great because our clients are booking you. And even our best clients will say, well, we always work with you, but this one time my CEO saw this person, I'm going to book this speaker. So those are two ways that you're qualified I guess pre-qualified at that point because you've been given a a thumbs up from another person. Sure. So if someone is a new speaker, they've just decided, I want to
2: do this industry, and they spent the money, they came to NSA, what advice would you have for them to position themselves for the long run, which will lead us, of course, to, to your tip is play the long game. What advice do you have to set up that expertise early so that when you get recognized, you have
0: the right boxes checked? I think it's do good work because it will the word will spread and so just hone your craft and every time you know be gracious on site word travels really fast. I'm a former event planner. I worked 20 years for a large corporation doing events. And the way you are on stage and the way you are off stage really does matter. Hmm. Okay.
3: That's that's a good
2: tip.
0: You know,
3: Anything else? I think just when you're ready to approach a bureau be ready. I think sometimes you come too early or late and you, there's never, you never get a second, first chance. You know? So I think be ready. And I know, you know it's a Jim Collins, right? Good is the enemy of gr- great. Is that right? I that right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Good is the enemy of <laughs> great. And you know, but I mean, it's okay to be good, but there's a lot of speakers in here. There's a lot of speakers who aren't in this room. You know, be great. Be great. And I know
1: that's hard, but that's what, really what we're looking for. And be great off stage, yeah. as you know, reference. It, If you're a professional speaker and the client tells you, you're the best speaker we've ever had, when you walk off stage, that's what they paid you to do. So that, good job, but that's not the bar to excel from. It's be awesome off stage, have a great press kit, make their life really easy. That's the stuff we hear from event planners. Like we we hear if a speaker's bad, like they call us on our cell phone that night. That's not a good call. (laughs) But if the speaker's amazing on stage, like an event planner would say, oh, that's kind of what I paid for. But if you call them and say, hey, I'm I'm in Starbucks line early in the morning, I'll get you a cup of coffee. That communicates you're already on site. All those little things, that's what event planners sit around the bar and talk about later on of you made an impact on them. You made their life easier, back to what Tim said earlier.
3: And, and, you know, on that note too, I mean, like we said, event planners, they have their own chat rooms. They talk to each other too. So it could be... Person A was great on stage, but you don't want that. Well, they were great on stage <laughs> and, right? And they talk about that stuff, and that goes a long way as far as you know, your reputation. So Tim, your tip was play
2: the long game. So let's start dissecting that one. What sure. do you
3: mean? Oh, look, I mean, think it, you can be a speaker for a long time, and it goes back to being great. I think it's hard to be a great speaker for a long time. You know, so I just think when you think about, you know, you're doing your website, think of a long-term play. Maybe when you're thinking about doing a social media post, think of a long-term <laughs> play, right? When you're, you know, when you're doing a new topic, it's all long-term. I think if you think short-term, you're gonna be in, in this industry successfully very short. Everything needs to be long. And I think we learned that after COVID, you know, doing the right thing. Those who did really came out of that, I think in a very strong way.
1: Yeah. I, it, the COVID element, there were probably two or three speakers who did not, not to start with the negative example. And that circulated amongst our staff. We have nine agents, and you better believe, our, we had a Slack channel that said, people are doing it wrong. They had a different title on it, but that's what it meant. Um, <laughs> but there were it, there were probably 100 speakers who early on in the process, we all got on a group call and just said, this is gonna suck for the next six, 12, 18 months. And we didn't know at the time, but those partnerships we have now, those speakers get pitched and booked more now because our agents just fell in love with them again because they said, like, we're, we're just all in this together. I mean, literally, our industry its an existential moment. Will we exist in a year? That made a huge difference. So that was the crucible moment. But every day is one of those. Next Tuesday is a smaller version of that. If you're at odds with a bureau, like, call them up and figure out what is a mutually beneficial outcome versus kind of digging your hills in the sand. And they should do the same also. That should be expected. It's a two-way street. I agree.
0: I was very moved by the number of speakers that would call me during the pandemic to check in. I mean, they were going through the same thing. But they were like, what can I do to help? I want you to be standing on the other side. And I just people were so gracious and so kind. And so I was uncomfortable with that tip. But uh, a little bit of it is I am so obligated to the people who were so kind to me and helped me get through the pandemic that I really want to take care of them before I start expanding and looking for a lot of new people. I have a great loyalty. So you've all been in the business a long
2: time. And in the 13 years I've been in this business, there are some people who appear and they're working everywhere. They're they're like, you know, boom. And then two years later, you never see them again. They don't come back to NSA. You don't run across them at other conferences. And then there's other people who have been speaking on stages all over the world for 40 plus years. What's the delta in that from being a flash in the
0: pan to having a consistent career? You know, they say, do what you love and the money will follow. And I think, you know, a passionate speaker, and I'm not talking about a passionate style necessarily, but someone who believes in their work and does it for a love because they're really passionate about it, I think that's what's going to last and create the long game. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I always make a joke. There's two ways to become a speaker, work really, really hard for decades. Or crash a commercial airliner into the Hudson River. And they're both—they're both proven. They're both proven models. Like they work. Once worked once. Once worked thousands and thousands of times. But the speakers that are that pop into the kind of the public conscience quickly because one thing happened. Um, they have the advantage that you guys work and we work hard to put speakers in front of, they have the advantage of they're in front of everyone automatically. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have much to say long term, right? So professional speakers, what you guys do, is you're reinventing your content. So if you're, if you're sharing the same content five years from now, That's a problem. You'll probably want to be one of those people who fade. But as Gail said, if you love it, you're not gonna be talking about the same content five years from now because you love it and you've evolved as a person and in your life, your married life, your family life, all those things. You've become a different person and you're speaking from a different place.
2: So Sean, before we go to Tim to answer that question, you talked about, if you're talking about the same thing five years later and you haven't evolved in the speech, how often should should speakers be at least tweaking part of the, the presentation or revamping everything they talk about?
1: Well, that's the million-dollar question. I I say watch watch a video every time after you speak, and you know you've got, I call them the fastballs, you know you have this story that when you're losing the room, man, I can tell the story, and everybody's going to cry, they're going to laugh. That's great. If you're using the same fastball five years from now, that's the problem because the room, the Eagles can play the same hits every night. People want that. They don't necessarily want you to play the same hits five <laughs> years from now, right? Um, so that, that's it. As you watch yourself, comedians do that a lot. They watch themselves and they kind of pull jokes out, add new jokes in. Um, and I get it that's tough because part of what you've built is, man, I've got these fastballs that I know I can kill with every time. You've just got to constantly be building new fastballs to be able to pitch them when you need them. I think it 's
3: a lot what we learned from Jess Petty yesterday right ego humility. I think speakers who are in the great for a long time they keep their ego in check and sometimes to be hard to do when you know. Uh, I'm doing 100 dates. I got to go to Hawaii again. You know, I think it's like, ah, uh, you know, but I think staying humble and getting the job done. I think, and I think COVID helped with that, right? And we we're off stages for a couple years. There's an energy that came back. We didn't take it for granted as far as the work we're doing. But I think, you know, however you do with your ego, is it mastermind groups? Is it your family? Keep that ego in check. Continue to reinvent and learn. Learn. If you stop learning and you're just satisfied, you know, kind of how Sean said with what you're doing, that's not gonna help. But just keep learning and reinventing, and I think you can stay on those stages. You know, When you have it, you have it. People wanna hear it. Awesome, well before we wrap up, I want each of you to share one tip
2: with our live ballroom audience and the people who are listening to this episode of Speakernomics. What's one thing we haven't covered that you, as an executive in a speakers bureau, just wish
3: every speaker knew? Tim, we'll start with you. Yeah. I think there's a misconception between bureaus and speakers. We want to partner with you. We like you. I think there's sometimes like, we're this mystery thing, but you know, we want to do good. We want to be a partnership with you. And I think, that's a misconception. It's like, don't call us, call you. But when we do get in there, it is a strong partnership. Like Gail said, during COVID, I was getting calls, we're connecting with people, probably crying a lot, like what's gonna happen to our business here? <laughs> you know, with different speakers, but there's a partnership and a connection there that we really value with the speakers we work with.
1: I was that person crying is what I called. <laughs> The call. I got a tired of it. Yeah. Well, first I would say these, these are awesome people on stage. Gail is a, an icon in our industry and Tim is as well. Um, there's a lot of knowledge in the Speakers Bureau world and it, it, it does feel at times like there's an adversarial element almost like the don't call us, we'll call you that that's not an adversarial thing. That really is a time management and a, a, a workload management thing. Even with that approach, I mean, we, we kind of say, and I think Gail and Tim would echo it, we kind of have a standoff, like we're not accepting new speakers. Wink, wink, we are when they're great, right? <laughs> um, but we probably, I probably still get four to five emails a day, two or three voicemails, and then two or three book packets per day. So that's, you do the math out. We could hire a part-timer just to go through that and respond politely with a no thank you, right? We don't want that to be adversarial. And once we do establish that connection with you, we are there to represent you. We provide services to you. So you didn't need an attorney when you didn't have anything to protect. You didn't need a CPA when you didn't have any money. Um, speakers' bureaus, you're buying services from us through commissions. So view it that way. Um, we do accounting, we do all the advanced work, we are a marketing agency in many ways. So view it that way as a partner over the long term, but there is that relationship building, starting with an individual, and then building it inside the the bureau. Gail, I'm going to give you the last word.
0: Please answer when I call you. (laughs) (laughs) In all seriousness, I'm so excited when I think you're the right fit and I want someone to get back to me quickly. I love it when I can brainstorm with you and describe this is exactly what the speaker, the client is looking for, is this a fit? And I have a handful of speakers that will, you know, write me back immediately and say I just spoke for this group, this is what it was like, here's what I would suggest. And then I'm better able to pitch you to my end client. So you know, I hope I'm calling soon. (laughs) And that was a great last word. I don't know who you
2: are out there who doesn't call a speaker bureau back. (laughs) So if you're not gonna call them back, send them to one of your other friends, because if you're not gonna call them back, pass it on, do something. (laughs) So if you learned nothing else from this episode of Speakernomics here live on the stage at Influence, what are you all gonna do when a speakers bureau calls? Awesome. Gail, Sean, Tim, thank you so much for being guests here on Speakernomics and sharing with everyone at Influence. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you This, This has been a special live episode of Speakernomics, the podcast about building a better business and becoming a better speaker. These three will all be doing a breakout session at two o'clock where they're gonna dive deeper into this whole world of speakers bureaus. So if you're live at Influence at two o'clock, that's one of your breakout options. If you're listening, that may or may not show up in the digital vault, but you can ask your friends who are here for all the great nuggets that they're gonna share. And then finally, tune in every single week to Speakernomics, where you're going to get more ideas, more thoughts, and actionable information on how to build your business as a speaker. And always remember the motto of this podcast, speak, get paid, repeat. (laughs)